In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by singer, songwriter, arranger, and meditative specialist, Keith Kirk. Keith and I begin the episode talking about him being originally from London, as well as spending some of his early years in Trinidad and Tobago, but then coming back to London at the age of, after the age of nine. Keith talks about his earliest introduction to music being mostly heritage music and singing in choirs. He knew that music was all he ever really wanted to do early on because of the impact it had from being around such exceptionally talented people at his classmates in school. Keith speaks about his experience in college singing with the London Chorale and the BBC. Keith also has penned several compositions that are published by GI Publications, which is America's largest sacred music publisher. Keith is also passionate about the business side of music. Keith and I talk about why most creatives don't like the business side of music. Keith shares that he's the type of guy that likes to have his T's crossed and his I's dotted. He likes to make sure that when he fills out information, no matter what it is, he makes sure that everything is filled out and locked in. He shares that because of his affinity and love for detail, it's probably what got him really interested in meditating. He shares that in London, no one really cares about your degree. They really only care that you are able to deliver what you say you know how to do. Keith has worked with some of the world's largest music and media companies in the world, such as Sony, Music Entertainment UK, Universal Music Group, BMG, 21st Century Fox, and the International Copyright Enterprise in Berlin, Germany, as a metadata specialist. I asked asked Keith what was it specifically that drew him to working specifically with metadata. He shares that he always wanted to work for a company called PPL, which is the equivalent of Sound Exchange in the U.S., while working at PBL, he got a message on LinkedIn from Universal Music Group requesting to meet with him. He went to meet with them and got hired to work with them in their metadata department. I asked Keith what the official definition of metadata is, and he shares simply that metadata is defined as information about information. He shares that when you're working in music, there are two strands of information to be concerned about. One set of information tells dry information such as a song title, duration, etc., the other strain of information contextualizes everything together. Keith and I talk about why indie creators should care about metadata. Keith shares that they should care because metadata is the mechanism that compensates them for their work. Keith shares that the only way to receive the revenue that a song earns is through having the correct metadata. Keith and I talk about what are some of the biggest mistakes in which he sees uh, indie creators make. And his answer is simply they don't care enough about it. He shared that there's no way for the music industry to pay properly without the correct metadata. I share that how I've encountered with many creators that don't even know what the basics are when it comes to metadata. He shares another reason that creatives need to care about metadata is the music business is now a digital, algorithmic, data-driven landscape and everything works automatically. He shares another reason metadata is important is because Cobalt did a study found that there are over 900,000 possible revenue streams for music that enters the marketplace today. Keith and I end the episode talking about the digital distributor, about how the digital distributor works as far as it goes to assigning and owning an ISRC code for independent artists. Keith shares that the digital distributor can assign the ISRC, but they actually do own the code, but also so does the creative. The main difference in ownership is that the digital distributor can prove their ownership in what is called a GS1 license. GS1 is a global organization that issues barcodes, UPCs, etc. The GS1 organization also issues licenses against the barcodes and ISRC codes. GS1 license allows distributors like DistroKid to be able to issue ISRC codes because they purchased a block of codes held attached to their license. Keith and I talk about how the GS1 license holder is able to recoup the expenses from giving the ISRC codes to any creators for free via their digital distributor. Keith and I discuss why indie creators purchasing their own 100,000 ISRC codes at one time can put them in the best position possible for ownership of their own of their royalties as they pass through the music ecosystem. Keith also shares how, ISR, how the ISRC code is made up and assigned. Keith shares that when you make a certain number of songs in a calendar year, and even though the registry code stays the same after the calendar year starts, the five-digit designation code at the end of the code starts at zero. Keith shares that indie creatives just starting out without any catalog should simply get their ISRC codes from their digital distributor. Once they have amassed a bit of a catalog that's generating revenue, then they can begin to think about buying their own codes. Keith shares the same goes for the GS1 license, which can also be passed down to next of kin. 
Keith and I speak fondly about the importance of indie creators being able to have an Excel spreadsheet that manages and mirrors the metadata as well as why ISNICO, which is the international standard they identify is key for making sure that all revenue is coming Hey guys, welcome to another episode. This is episode 20 of the Encourage and Inspire podcast. And I have a friend of mine on here today, my friend Keith Kirk, uh, who is going to be talking about something really, really important to creatives, which is metadata. But before that, we're going to kind of, he's one of the, one of the few that is kind of uses both sides of his brain, which is the creative and the and the uh, I guess you call the the analytical side with the metadata. Yep. So, so we're going to kind of get into a little bit of both of those. So, Keithman, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well, man. I'm so I'm so excited to be part of your podcast. Um, you're such a fantastic guy, man. Like um, meeting you in Clubhouse and hearing you speak, and it's like, oh my god, this guy is so inspirational. So, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. I, I, thank you for for being a guest man it, it really is an honor for me to uh have you on my podcast so um so, so are you originally where are you originally from are you originally from london or you where are you originally from yes a lot of people ask that question because i'm all over the place but yeah, yeah. i was born in in london uh place called edmonton in north london um but my mom sent me to the caribbean when i was about two or three years old okay and i grew up in trinidad Okay, oh, my parents yeah. are from Jamaica, so kind of like ah, right, yeah, yeah okay, nice, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, so I mean, that was I, a normal I, thing, right? Parents sending their kids to the West <laughs> Indies and stuff. So that's what that's what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. so you know, I, I never grew up. So I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. You know, both my mom and my dad are both from Jamaica. I've never been to Jamaica, believe it or not. So I've never what? been. I live in Orlando, Florida. Grew up in Orlando, but I've never been to Jamaica. Now, my youngest sister on my dad's side, oh. because she grew up with him. And she kind of got more of the Caribbean upbringing gotcha. than we did. I mean, the mm. most we really got was the food and the, most mm-hmm. of that, you know. So, Aki and soul she, fish and all yeah. That. So she grew up going to Jamaica several times. I've never okay. been now. Okay. Where my dad is from is he said it's just not really ideal, especially with me having a disability. He just never really felt comfortable yes. Like, yes. having me to go there because it's not as easy to get around in places like that with somebody like me with a descent. So he's like, if we go there, we got to go to the resorts, you know, it's not really, yes. you know, so that's one reason why he's not, I've never really pushed for it. Although I would love to go because that is my heritage. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. uh, but, but that's one reason why he's, he, we've never really, I've never really been, but sure. yeah, but, but I definitely have both parents are from Jamaica, but my mom grew up in America. She grew up in, in Brooklyn, in New York. And then my oh, dad nice. moved to New York. My dad moved to New York in 1980, and he's been there ever since. Okay, right. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, similar, similar with my mom. My mom went to England when she was 17, and it's been there ever since, right? So, gotcha. yeah. Okay. And then you were born there. Uh-huh. And then you, then, yeah. so how long were you in, how long were you in Trinidad for? Until I was about nine. And okay. then I went back to London, yeah. Gotcha. You went back to London, and you grew up there. So. Talk to me about your earliest. When were you introduced to music? When did you know like music was something you wanted to 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 like to be a part of? Like oh, you wanted great. it to be a part of your 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 life somehow. You know, great question. So when I was in Trinidad, there's this uni- uh, small college in Trinidad. Now back then it was called Caribbean Union College. Okay. Right? Now it's known as the University of the Southern Caribbean, okay. uh, and that. It's a Seventh Day Adventist university. I'm a Seventh Day Adventist, right? Right, and um, of course, you know, Seventh Day Adventist music is very big in our denomination. It's a right. big thing. So, Take Six, Shalaya, etc., etc., etc. Right, um, and that campus was no different. It was just crazy with music, right? And so we grew up on like heritage singers, uh, uh, Breath of Life Quartet. Um, the Winans, that kind yeah, of thing. That, that, that was what we were and, fed, and, and I can tell because that's a lot of your bio. I see is from a lot of that gospel, that 
uh, all that type of deal, you know, gospel background and heritage. Yeah. yeah, I've noticed that in your bio, which we'll kind of get into, but make yeah. So I I grew up with that, and and you know, I grew up singing in the choirs, and grew up, and I and I, uh, later on when I went back to Trinidad. Um, I joined the, uh, uh, my own sextet quartet because we were big Take Six fans. I'm still a massive Take Six fan. Um, and I had my own group and I used to sing bass in the group. Um, and that's just, just being on the campus, being around that environment. And like literally all of my friends were either singing or playing an instrument. Oh, wow. <laughs> everybody was either singing or playing an instrument. And at that time, I could sing, but I wasn't playing an instrument. So I was like, no, I got to learn to play an instrument. Most of my friends were playing piano, so I learned to play the piano. And that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is everything to me. I don't want to do anything else. This is everything. Uh, and that's when I knew, like, you know, because my friends were so young. They were 14, 15, and they were playing trumpet and trombone and keyboards. And I was like, wow, how are they doing this so young, you know? And they were doing it at such a high level. And I was just like, yeah, this is it for me. You know, but it wasn't even about like a realization. It, I just grew up around that because my family played instruments. My fa- my mom and my parents, my aunts and uncles, they all sang in choirs and everything. So it was always around me. Mu- grew up with music in the house. It was always around me. It was, just, it was just that mainstay. So it was quite easy in that regard. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, music. I always tell people, you know, we can't live life without music. You know, oh, it, no. it's it's. I don't know anybody who can sit there and honestly tell me that <laughs> that they can go through life, uh, and not have music because it's a, it's a soundtrack to our lives. And believe you know, and, and that's why what we do with artists is so important because yeah. we have so many people that have gifts and want to be able to share their gifts, but also want to be able to make a living doing what they love to do. That's right. That's the that's the big thing, right? So, it's funny you should say that though, because when I did my masters, there's this uh, there's this uh, it's not a condition called amusia. Um, and if you're a person that has amusia, music is is an irritant to you. Oh, really? Yeah, amusia. People with an amusia condition, they can't listen to music. It's an irritant. And I'm like, I was just like, oh my God, Lord, please never, ever put me, get me in a position where I've got that condition. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, that's interesting. I, I'm going to have to go look that up. You know, well, at least, well, hey, uh, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, you know, so, so, you go to college, you get your degree, and then you start working with a number of organizations in the music industry. Like, so I have it written down here, the, the London Chorale, you, and then you work with the BBC. So the London Advent, yeah, the London Adventist Chorale is a, it's the, it's like, I don't know if you've heard of Aeolians at Oakwood University. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're, you know, the Aeol- that, that's a fantastic choir. Take Six sang with them and all these big groups. Mervyn Warren, who wrote the score for Sister Act Two, etc. He right. used to sing with that group, etc. So, so, so the London Adventist crowd was like the, the the UK version of that choir. So, um, that choir sang for everybody from you know we've done a lot of stuff for the monarchy and it's just crazy. We sang for the Queen of England so many times and all that kind of stuff. So that afforded me to get to get uh, to do a lot of performances and some well to do organi- uh, uh, events and stuff like that. Um, and then we did, yeah, a lot of work with the BBC, a lot, a lot of recordings on the BBC for various programs and stuff like that. Um, so London is a small community of musicians and singers. So once you're in that community, you know, you you can get called to do various different things. You know, what I mean? right. So right. That that was a fantastic experience as well. That's awesome. And then you also have penned uh, some cool compositions. You know. Uh, that are published by the GIA, GIA Productions, which I didn't know this, which is America's largest kind of sacred music publisher. Is that true? Yes. GIA is uh, America's largest sacred music publisher. And um, yeah, I penned a, a, a work called Saints, Are You Ready to Go? It's been recorded a number of times by a few groups as far as Australia, etc., cetera, um, uh, in the Caribbean, in America, London, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, I have some published works like that as well. 
for choral works, published choral works. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Right. That's I was cool. I, I was very very big into the choral world, choral music, choral singing, right? You know, Negro spiritual type stuff. I was really I really love that kind of music. Got you, got you. Okay, interesting, interesting, yeah. man. That's awesome, man. That's uh-huh. man. I tell you, everybody's path in music somehow. Everybody has different journeys, man. I, uh-huh. I always tell people like, no two people's journeys are ever the same. Oh, no, 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 no. And we're the same, right? (laughs) That's right. That's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you get your mask. So obviously you have a creative side, but you also really are passionate about the business side of music. Yes. Yes, sir. I mean, and it's interesting because a lot lot of creatives like the business side very much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of creatives don't. Um, because you're a creative person, you just want to create. You want to create yeah. art, and you want to share that art with somebody, and, and 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 have that person resonate with the art that you've created, right? Right. But I recognized a long time ago. I was like, wait a minute, you know, people. I'm a kind of guy. I like my T's crossed and my eyes dotted. Right. You know, when I'm filling out an application online for anything, I want to fill in every single thing. Ah, I don't want to leave anything <laughs> missing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Is that that that's, thing? I don't know that's, why that that's is the there. metadata side of you. Yes, <laughs> you know, even on my iTunes, you know, back in the day, you know, when you used to burn a CD to your iTunes, yeah, yeah I don't want to yeah. see track one, track two, track two, right, two. right. I want the name of it, I want the, the cover art, I want everything filled in. And I think that having that thing is what kind of got me into this metadata space, right? Right, because right. I cared about that. A lot of people don't care about that, and I used to be like. No, well, you've got to have that. You've got to have the name. What's the name of the song? What's the duration? Right, what's, right. Because back this, then, that? You know, obviously, now we in streaming, but back then, like I said, these young kids don't know anything about CDs. And that when we had to burn the CD and, and mm-hmm. then you put it in the car and it just said track one. Yes. Uh, no. about anything. So, I mean, no. and, and, and so, oh. you know, yeah, I totally, you know, I totally remember that. That that era yeah. of music b- before the streaming space, you know, and yeah, and things yeah. like that, you know. Um, yeah. So I was, you know, so so yeah. So obviously, having a third education, because you know, my degree is from Full Sail University. Um, okay. Awesome. I have a degree in entertainment business. I was a valedictorian in my class. The oh, best wow. in my class won numerous awards. The thing with educate the thing with the music industry though, right, is most people who are in this industry don't even have a degree that's had anything to do with music or entertainment. This no. is the industry of relationships. That's kind of how I you said. get in, right? So it's very rare to find people that have degrees in music management, music business, things like that. Right, is it kind of people kind of learning the school of hard knocks, as they say? Yes, um, music business, music uh, degree, especially in London, they yeah. do not care about your degree. It yeah. means nothing. What they <laughs> care about is can you do this work? Right. Can you do this? Do you know how to do this? Are you committed to it? And then right. most of all, as you just said, can you work with the team? Yes. Right. That's what they care about. Because when I when I worked at all these organizations, they never, ever once asked me about my degree or to see it or to prove that I have it. Nothing. Right. And it's interesting because so many, so many people, like, for instance, at at Full Sail University, right? And I love my schools, but, you know, so people graduate with your degree and it's great. And it's also for the parents to watch you walk across the line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you get in the field, nobody cares about what you do. Nobody cares. Nobody gives it. Nobody really gives a shit. They don't care. All they care about, like you said, is can you deliver what you say you can do? That's right. That's right. Can you do it? Yeah. Can you actually do the things that you said you can do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because because there's a lot of people who have who have great resumes, but then one also too, great great stuff, but it's like. My biggest thing too, are you a good person? Are you somebody uh, who I want to be around? Uh, so you know, in, in our industry, do you have people with like I said with great resumes, but they're horrible people? Oh my gosh. They're, they're, I, they're I, just not anybody you want to even be around. Like you kind of deal with them because you have to, but they're and not going back to my, my 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 creative experiences, right? Right. Being in London, I, I came in, I was like the young guy in, in the whole situation, right? And mm-hmm. the 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 being with the London Adventist crowd, they did a lot of stuff. I mean, they toured with um, 
uh, what's her name? That 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 uh, woman, black woman, that um, forgetting her name. She she sang at the inauguration for Bill Clinton. She's a black opera singer, massive, toured the world. Oh my gosh! Let's look it up. Just to think uh, about it. Uh, uh, her name's just I'll right. Get the name. Hold on. What's we've got the internet for? Okay. I, I think she. I think she uh, went to Howard University. Right. Uh, oh my God! Why is she not sing for Bill Clinton? Black opera singer. I think. I think she sang at his inauguration. Let's see. Um, we can find it. Um, hmm. Jesse Norman. Got it. Jesse Norman. Okay. Jesse Norman. That wasn't the name that came up. Oh, here yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. I see it here. Yeah, Jesse Norman, right. Mm-hmm. Jesse Norman. She yes, is yes, yes. a world famous black opera singer. And um, the guys that I sang with, they uh, she came to London. She was literally looking for some voices. Okay. She, she, she auditioned some other voices. They didn't work. And one of my our guys happened to be at that rehearsal. He went up to her and he was like, you know, I, I, I sing this guy, you know, uh, would you like to come and hear us? She's like, okay, sure. Came and hear us. And they toured with her for eight years. Right. Oh wow! Um, and what happened is when I came on the scene, you know, I, I I really learned my music really quickly, and I was always on time for rehearsals and everything like that. Right. And they would call me to events, right? Like Ken Ken Burton is his name. He's a welter. You should check him out as well. Um, they he would bring me on tours and stuff, and I'd be like, Ken, you know, I'm new. Why, why didn't you choose that other person who's, who you've known for years? Or why didn't you choose so-and-so, who, whatever? He's like, Keith, is because I know that if I take you on the road for three weeks, that you would get along with everybody for the three weeks. Or if I know if I take you here or right. I ask you to do this, you're going to be ready. You're going to have your stuff known, everything like that. And right. I'm like, oh, okay. So right. it's more because the other guys or the other women were way better singers than I was. Right. Right. Way better. But he's like, I'm choosing you because of your your relationships with people. Exactly. Right? That is that so, is that is so key, man. You know, yeah. This this is a people industry, and you have yes. to get along with people. You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation the other day, and and you know, people who do gospel. And by the way, disclaimer: I have zero desire to work in gospel music corporately. <laughs> oh my god, uh, it's just never really been my thing, right? Right. I grew right. up in church, but it's. It's never really, and I didn't even really go up, grow up in gospel church. I grew up in, in mm. like Baptist churches, uh, so it's a whole different. Gotcha. It's a whole different thing, right? But I've never gotcha. had a desire to mm. work in sort of a corporate, uh, sacred, what you ever call it, se- um, you know, non secular space, right? Because mm-hmm. I've always felt like the people who are quote unquote doing it for God, sometimes they don't really want to do good business. Mm. what I've heard mm. and I've, I've heard that many different times that they don't it's always the gospel people that that, that cause the most trouble it's oh, always yeah. the I mean have you heard that yeah yep yeah. yep yep don't have their stuff together don't a lot of them just they, just they just don't have their business together. they don't want to do good business they don't want to pay you they don't the, the churches don't want to pay yeah. it's like no you have look, at the end of the day you have to still do good business yeah, I don't care. If I, 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 I think they have this kind of thought. It's been this long thought pattern that if I'm doing it for God, then we can just, you know, He will cover everything. No, 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 no. But, that don't make no but sense no, to me. No, He's He's a God of order and a God of yes, uh, precision. Exactly. You know? exactly. So, yeah. Do so. what you say. If you sign the contract for someone, you're gonna pay on time. Pay mm-hmm. what you're going to pay. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for a discount. You know, and, and everybody has so I've heard people say they don't want to work with gospel people because it just it, it cause the most headaches and the most trouble. So it's just interesting. Interesting But 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 we were we were we were we were a Christian based performing group, but we didn't work with Christian based organizations. Right? Interesting. You interesting. Know, we, we didn't. We didn't. All the gigs we did were like like Jesse Norman, gotcha. with the Monarchy. We even toured with Winton Marsalis. Oh yeah, that's the kind of stuff wow. that we did. So wow, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, kind of getting into the to, to the music business side of of your career. 
So you've worked for some of the largest music and media companies in the world, including, uh-huh. you know, Sony Music Entertainment UK, Universal Music Group, BMG, 21st Century Fox, and then a, a company called the International Copyright Enterprise. International Copyright Enterprise in, Berlin, in Germany. Germany. So, so yeah. as, a, as a metadata analyst, so what? So when was your first introduction to, I want to, because there's really no job. Nobody goes to the music industry saying, I want to work with metadata. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not a yeah. sexy job. That's not a no. sexy job. So uh, what kind of led you... You know, what kind of legend? Because I want people who listen to this episode to understand the. That's one reason I want to have you on, is because I want people mm-hmm. to understand the importance of metadata. I preach metadata all the time, but you are a right. specialist right. in metadata. So yes. you come yeah. from a totally so, different perspective. I am, you know, um, and so living in London, I, there was this company I was trying to work with called PPL. So PPL is I'm like familiar. the yeah. equivalent of sound exchange in the UK. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So, you know, you know, PPL. And um, I got, a, I, you know, I, I interviewed there so many times. I never got a job. Finally, I got to work there. Uh, and then four weeks later, I get this message on LinkedIn from Universal. Some of the Universal, they said they'd like to see me. I was like, what? Universal? They want to see me? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm pfft. I'm going. <laughs> go to go to the office. It's literally after work. Everybody has left. It, the, the building is empty. I go into this room, and it's just these two guys there. And literally, they they just it was just a formality. I already had a job. It was just a formality. It's like, okay, this is what we do. Uh, this is what we need you to do. Blah, blah blah. When can you start? I was like, immediately. Go back to PPL and I said, guys, look, I got this offer. They're like, yo, Universal, go, go. Right. They didn't even keep me back. Right. Yeah. Um, so Universal is literally where I started my career as a metadata specialist, right? Right. Um, so what we did at Universal, Universal Global will send all their releases to Universal London to quality check, data check before that metadata is delivered to the stores. Interesting. Got it? So... So all the universal offices around the globe that have new releases before they can send it to iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, Tidal, et cetera, they've got to send it to the London office. I will check it all through, right? Um, and then if there are any changes that need to be made, I will list those changes and send those changes back for them to make. I don't make the changes. Okay. And be- okay, before that, let's, let's backtrack. For those who, 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 listen, who may not know what metadata is, let's start to be what is metadata? What is the official definition of metadata? If I were to ask you, if I didn't know anything about metadata, what is metadata? Why should I care about it? Right. So the official definition of metadata is information about information. Okay. Information about information. So you have two strands of information. The first strand in music specifically okay, is yeah. artist name. Song name, song or oh, song title, um, du- uh, duration, um, uh, genre, and version, probably right, right, right. That's one set of information, but that doesn't mean anything, right? So, you have the other set of information that contextualizes the first set of information. So, artist name, Beyonce, song title, if I were a boy. Duration, three minutes, nine seconds. Genre, pop, version, extended version. Right. Yeah. So that essentially is metadata. Or you can think about it like this. When you go into the store and you pick up a product, you're looking at the product, you turn the product be- turn behind and you see like all the nutritional information right. about it. You see the name of the item, where it was made, all that kind of stuff. That's metadata. Right. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, why, if I'm a creative, why should I, mm. like I said, why should I care about metadata? What, what is, what, why is metadata? I know why it's important, but it, why should somebody who is just starting out, right, who wants to get everything right in their, wants to set themselves up for success in their career, why should they care about the metadata? And that's probably the best question you can ask on this podcast today. They should care because metadata 
is the, the mechanism by which the music business uh, uh, compensates you for your work. Metadata is the mechanism, the mechanism. So if you write a song, you go into you go and get that song produced, right? Are you hear me? Yeah, can hear you. Yeah. yeah, you get that song produced, then you release that song to the market. Right. Once that song is released to market, it generates revenue. But how do you get that revenue? How? Right. Through the mechanism of metadata. Right. Interesting. Right. Right. So, um, what are some of the mistakes you see people are making with metadata in regards to metadata? Some of the biggest mistakes. Well, as you just asked, not caring about it enough. Right. That's the biggest mistake that's been made, not caring about your metadata. Because if you don't care about your metadata, there's no way that the industry can um, uh, give, uh, uh, send you the money that your music has generated. Because if you don't care about the metadata, there's missing elements in your metadata, like your name, the correct name, your publisher, your label, you know, the duration of the song, the name of the song, the featuring artist, there's no way we can pay the contributors on this song or pay you because we don't have all the correct information. And it's interesting, right? Because if you take a company like Sound Exchange, right? Sound Exchange is what I like to call the digital or PPL in... in, in, in yes, London. It's a digital... It's like a digital PRO. That's right? right. That's right. So when you think about it, there's people... And, and so they hold... They they hold money up to three years, yes. right? Before yes. they do what they call a pool release, right? That's so, right. I've I've heard of people having as much as seven to fifteen thousand dollars yep. of royalties accrued. Yes, sir. You know uh, that are being held in their regard, but because they don't know who they are, they don't know. They can't pay them. So, and it's because of the metadata. The That's metadata right. is incorrect. They don't have the right. So when you go with sound exchange, you have to fill out the artist repertoire sheet, uh-huh. right? You know, uh-huh. and you have to and you have to give them that information, and then you the ISR sheet code is so important. Uh-huh. You know, oh my gosh, I, I talk all the time. Like people, look, you'd be surprised how many artists out here who are doing music, who quote unquote trying to do music professionally, who have no clue what the ISR sheet code is. They have no clue. <laughs> yeah. You know that that's the thing, and I mean, you know, I I don't want to sit there here and bash artists. And no, no, like we're that. not bashing. They're we're creatives. just trying to tell the reality of the situation. How why important? Why the important? Uh, why metadata is important? Why this information is important? Because to the average creative, they're not thinking about this stuff. They just want to make no. music. But then they don't want. But then, okay, you want to get paid to do what you love to do, right? So you have to care about these things. So I don't think it's even bashing. It's like we're just trying to enlighten people. And the people, creatives who want to do this, because like you said, if you're signed to a label, a major label, they're handling the stuff for you. That's right. So That's you don't right. have to think or, or uh, indie label, right? So uh, most people yeah. back in the day didn't ever have to think about metadata, that it was nope. stuff that was done for you. That's right. Because but now in this... 40, right, go ahead. And in this climate now where you can do, you can basically do everything yourself, right? Right. You need to care about metadata. Right. And so that's why I think this is, that's why I think it's so important to have people like you because 99% of the art, the creators in the marketplace will never sign to a major label or any kind of label deal anyway. That's why metadata is really, really important. And here's the other reason why you need to care about, another two main reasons why you need to care about metadata. One, because the music business is now a digital algorithmic um, data driven landscape. Right. It's right. all digital. So everything works automatically. Right. right. So if, right. If, if, if when you when I deliver my metadata to a platform, that platform is automatically picking up information and then and then generating a, a revenue report and sending that revenue report to someone to another database. That database picks it up, reads it and says, oh, I'm supposed to pay Durell $10,000. It's right. not literally like we're sitting down looking at each record and right. saying, oh, I need to pay Durell this money and then I need to pay Keith. No, it's all done by automatic databases. Right. right? So if the information isn't in the system, the system doesn't know who to pay, right? right? The second reason is 
Cobalt did a study and they discovered that there are 900,000 possible revenue streams for one song. Really? 900,000. Wow. God, do you hear that? 900,000 ways to generate money off one piece of intellectual property. Property. Wow, that is massive. Yeah. And that's that's and why so 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 why do you think these organizations are buying up catalog right now? Right. <laughs> because they 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 know that in the next five to ten years that could probably triple double. Right. Right. And catalog is going to be so valuable and generating so much money. Well, that's these why these people, labels can still be in existence because they own the masters. That's, that's right. Why these labels and hey, Keith, that's another thing. I, you know, I've never believed. I don't. I've never believed in. I'm interested to hear what you think about this. I've never believed in a record label owning the masters, masters in perpetuity. Yeah. I've never believed. No. Like if you think about it, right? Okay, so yeah, they give you money to make your record, right? Uh-huh. But it's not their art. It's your art. That's right. So, That's right. And, 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 and this is why I guess. This is why I guess you know it's not a traditional. Because people always say, well, a record label is a bank. And a record is a bank. <laughs> and I I was watching a video by my, my guy, Casey Graham, uh, who does a, who talks a lot about music business. And, and he said, no, he's like, really? Because you're really paying, you're really paying the label back only really through your artist royalty. So technically, it's not a traditional situation of here's money, here's a loan, I pay it back, I own my stuff. It doesn't really work that way, you know. In the music business, let's say you do, let's say they do make all their money back, they still own your music a lot of times in perpetuity. And if there's a buyback reversion, it's usually not until 35, 40 years later after that recording, yes, as as, after they've had time to to make the money if you Uh even have the option to buy your music back. Uh Uh I think Anita Baker. Is just now saying uh, she wants to buy her masters back. It's been oh, really? thirty wow. something years, and she wants the ability to to buy back her music. You know, wow. and it, it's just, it's a sh- it's it's so it's a shame that a lot of these, these iconic artists who've written these iconic songs who don't have ownership of their music, and uh-huh. in their record contract, there's all these triggers that they don't even know uh-huh. that they agreed to. Yep. trigger the contract to do this and this and that and they don't even know they don't even know that they yep. have labels put these little have their attorneys put these little triggers in the contract uh-huh. they're uh-huh. locked into these deals for years and years and years and years and years yeah you know but, well a, a lot of, a lot of it was a you know a moral thing or or, 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 or you know, I want to get out of poverty. I want to get out. I want to make my life better. So you sign on the line to just get this thing done. Yeah. A lot of it was based on that too, right? Right. Right. And so, you know, so, so that's, that, that's why I think, you know, having this information of metadata and having the ability to own your information, you know, and be able to build your business. Right. Uh, it's really, it's really, really key. You said that. It's really key. Yeah, it's about owning your digital, owning your digital space. That's exactly. what it is called. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And because again, like we said earlier, majority of the creators in the marketplace will never sign any kind of indie label or major label deal. So you have to uh, care about your business. You know, you can have a manager, you can have all these other people in place, but at the end of the day. It's still your business, SEO, and you need to care about it. There's so many creators out here that just want somebody else to handle their business. I've never believed in that. Like, you know, you have to, yes, have a manager. There's nothing wrong with having a manager. But oh. at the end of the day, it's still your business. It is your it's business. something you need to make sure you are aware of what's going on. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, talk to me about, so, so I want to get into this, the... So you know how people can, you know how the, the the DSPs, you can buy, you know, when you go upload your stuff into either DistroKid, TuneCore, you know, CD Baby, and they offer you to we'll assign the, the ISRC code to you, right? I've always thought that you don't want them to do that. 
because of ownership of them potentially being able to get ownership of your music. But after talking with you and some other people, that's actually not true. Am I right about that? Oh, are you frozen? Yeah, it's it's. I'm trying to connect to my phone. Let me let me let me. Let's pause. Let's just pause for a sec. All right, guys, we're back. We just had a little bit of technical difficulties, so we're back now. Um, that's that's the way it goes with technology. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I was asking was the D. So I was always under the impression that you didn't want to have um, the DSP assign your ISRC code to your track. You know what I'm saying? I always thought it was that if they did, then it would drain into ownership. And that's why I would always say, hey, why don't you go buy your so pay the $99 from the ISRC. I'm speaking specifically from the U.S., right? Mm, um, mm, you mm. know, pay the $99 and buy the registrant code yourself. You know, yes, but then I, yes. but then that uh-huh. talking with you on previous conversations and other people, that's actually, I'm actually incorrect about that, right? No, you're, you're correct. Um, I am correct. Okay. Yeah, 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 you're correct. So, so it, it's perfectly fine to have the, the digital distributor, not the DSP, the digital sorry, distributor. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. Yeah, the distributor, I, I said that wrong. Yes, that's fine. That's fine. It's perfectly fine to get an ISRC code from the distributor. Perfectly fine. They're not doing anything wrong. They don't own your copyright, your your IP, nothing like that. However, they do legally own the ISRC code. Right? Right. They own it. You also own it as well. But they own it. The difference between your ownership and their ownership is that they can prove that they own it because they have something called a license, right? Okay, a yeah, GS1. Because most of us, most of us don't have no clue what you're about to talk about. <laughs> right. So GS1 is the global organization that issues um, barcodes, UPCs, etc., etc. Right. Right. They issue those things. Um. And they issue license against those barcodes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the okay. ISRC code is issued, is, is, is managed by the IFPI, uh, right? Um, okay. International Federation Phon- Phonographic Industry or something like that. That's what it's okay. called. They're issued by that. They, they're managed by the IFPI. But in, in America, it's managed by the, the RIAA, right? Okay. The, the RIAA is the country manager for ISRCs in America. Right. However, all the RIAA and all these organizations, they get these ISRCs uh, uh, from the IFPI. But 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 you can get your ISRCs, but you have to have a, a, a license to that 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 the license proves that you are the owner of this ISRC. So we let's let's look at it like this. You can have like a let's look at Mercedes. You go to a Mercedes garage, there's thousands of Mercedes there. Thousands right. on, on the lot. Right. right? Um, but but that, those cars are owned by Mercedes. Until you purchase that car and you purchase the deed for that car, that deed says you own that specific car. They all look the same. They're all identical, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with the RSRC. So to bring it into context, um, uh, a, a, distribu- a distributor like DistroKid, when they give you that free ISRC, is because they've purchased a block of ISRCs to then give you for free, right? But in uh, order for them, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. go ahead. Yeah, but in order for them to purchase that block of ISRC and to give it to you, they have to also have a license to do that, right? They have to have a license which they get from GS1 to say that we are the owners of this, this RSRC code or these blocks of ISRCs. But when they give it to you, it's yours also. But they are the licensed holder of the RSRC. Okay. So think of it like your passport. 
when the government of the U America issues you your passport, it's your name and likeness in that passport. You own the passport, but the U.S. government also owns it. Interesting. So how does that play a role in the royalty reports? Right. And Good I remember question. you talking about this before, too. So how does that play a role? And then I want to get around back to what about when you pay the $99? Is that right. still effective? So let's answer those two things first. So how right. does that play a role in the royalty reports in terms of that ISRC, that registry code? You so know. essentially, when that royalty report comes in, to it's going to come into DistroKid because DistroKid is the license holder of the ISRC. Okay. You're not going to get that revenue and usage report. The, the, the license holder is going to get it. Okay. So technically, and I'm not really sure if this is true or not, technically, if they've paid for the RSRC and is giving it to you for free, any businessman will want to make a return on his investment. Right. So technically, they can take, so let's say you earn $100 on your song. Right. They can take some money off to recoup their expenses for the cost of that RSRC. And that's what I thought. So maybe that's what I was thinking. When mm -hmm. said about ownership of your song. So not really uh -huh. ownership, but they can maybe take monies back. From the ISRC. From expenses, right. From expenses of the, for the cost of giving you the ISRC for free. I see. So right? that's, see, that's where I probably had that. See, that's where I've been explaining it wrong. Well, thank yes. you for clearing that up. Uh, yes, so they don't they don't own your IP, they don't own your copyright, they have no they have no ownership of anything like that. The ISRC, on the other hand, that's a different story. They have the license uh, for that ISRC. If they've purchased that ISRC and give it to you for free, obviously I'd want to make my I want to make that, that expense. So right. if you've made money on your ISRC, it's gotta come from you, it's gotta come from somewhere. Right. Right. So, so I, I possibly I'm going to be taking a percentage out from your thing and then give you the rest. Right. So now let's say, because what I always tell my clients is go to the ISRC.org website and pay the $99. Mm -hmm. Get your 100,000 codes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you'll never have to buy ISRC codes ever again because unless the only way you weren't, you're not going to, first of all, you're not going to make 100,000 codes. 100,000 no. songs in your lifetime anyway, so that no. code is good for life. For life. <laughs> for life. It is good for life. I mean, you're not going to make all that unless you're a label right. and you're pushing out a bunch of products. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because right. technically, the only way that would run out is you. I think you have to release 100,000 in a calendar year for them to have to issue. Am I right? Is that a calendar? Uh, yes. Yes, because every year you update the year on the ISRC. Right. Right? So, right. so okay, let's talk about how the ISRC is made up. So you have US for the country. Right. right. And then you might have like DP for Durrell Pert. Right. DP1. Right. DP1 right. is Durrell Pert's. That's your code. That's oh. your designation. Right. Right? So it'll be US for the United States, DP1 for, for Durrell Pert. Right. Then 21 for the year. Yeah. Right. And then five zeros. Right. Right. So let's say at the end of 2021 comes, it will be for the new year, it will be US DP1 22. Right. And then you start again with five zeros. Okay. So when, so when the new year, so okay, I didn't know that. So when the new year, when the new year changes, the zero start again? Yes. Yes. Okay. See, I didn't know that. Okay. So yes. Yeah. When, when you own that code, so mm -hmm. I listen to this. When you own that code, mm -hmm. the new year, you start again with zero. Yes. So now I know that. So now I can properly instruct because I was I did not know that the zero mm -hmm. start mm -hmm. over after yes. the new year. Okay. Interesting. So let's so let's say you did ten songs in twenty twenty one. So it'll be US DP1 21 000 1 to 10. 
right? Okay. 0001 for the first song, 0002, 0003, up to 10, right? Right. At the end of the year, for the new year now, it will be US DP1 2022, and then you start back from 0000. Interesting. Why did I not know that? In, see, I, I'm supposed to be someone supposed to know this stuff. And That's fine. New things. See, this is why I bring my guests on here who are experts <laughs> in what they do, and they can yeah. correct me. <laughs> That's all right. Sure that I'm we learn it. every day. Yes, we learn I'm every day. My client. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Keith, so would you, would you, would you, if you're consulting clients, would you rather them buy the night, pay the $99 and buy their own codes? Or uh, this is this is what I say. If you're just starting out, your first song out the door, get the get the ISRC from DistroKid. Gotcha. So there's no money in the market. Okay. Like, you know, there's nothing. You know, okay. or if you, you just put out your first EP, three songs in the market, you have no traction, you don't even have a website. You right. have nothing. <laughs> right. Just take the ISRC. Right? right. When you start generating your catalog and really starting building your catalog and really starting making money and generating revenue, then you could start to now look at going to usrsrc.org and getting your own registered code and issuing your own RSRCs. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Now the, the other, the, the B part of that is, do you also get your own license from GS1? Again, yes. only when you're really starting to make money. When your songs are really generating money in the in the in in the in the marketplace and you're really making a lot of traction, then you want to look at getting that GS1 license, um, which also can be um, passed down to your next of kin. Interesting. So when you, okay, nice. Yes. So when you pass away, that ownership can be passed on to your next of kin. Powerful. Powerful. See. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So essentially. Brand new artists don't even really need to worry about that license. I mean, you really, majority nah. don't even really get. Again, I had no, I didn't know about that license until I started going to the rooms on Clubhouse. That that was mm. something that I always just thought, okay, buy your eyes off she codes, pay the ninety nine dollars, get your get whatever, and then you know. But but now you're saying that like that that license, you know, unless unless you are generating massive amounts of revenue, it's really not that important. No, no, it's really not. And I I hesitate to talk about this a lot because it's really, uh, it's it's not for everybody because everybody are at different stages. Right. Right. So someone that's just starting out, I wouldn't even talk to them about this at all. Yeah. And I don't usually, I don't even, I don't even mention it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Before we go, I know you're short time. We got about, you know, five, 10 minutes left. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to you about the importance of making sure you have an Excel spreadsheet and how that plays a role. And because I always tell people, your spreadsheet needs to match whatever mm. embedded into the metadata. Yes, you, very good. You question. as a specialist, mm-hmm. is that Excel spreadsheet important for you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The Excel spreadsheet is one of the best ways to manage and administrate your metadata. And in fact, I have a free metadata sheet from my, on my website that I I'll de- make sure uh, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that I developed from Sony Music. You know, I took what they had and I kind of developed into my own thing as well. Um, you can go to my website, motifmusicservices.com. Okay. M-O-T-I-F for Freddie, musicservices.com. Uh, scroll down to the bottom, sign up, and the, the link to the, uh, the, 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 the spreadsheet will be emailed to you or sent to you, right? Or you can get it, download it from that link. Okay. But that spreadsheet is so critical to manage it because the other problem, uh, Durell, is that m- a lot of people just, they release their stuff into the market mm-hmm. and don't take care of the details. Right. So that when there's, you know, their, their song is streaming like mad, is, 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 is getting placed and it's doing all sorts of, it's everywhere. Everybody's listening to it. They're seeing revenue, but that revenue is not coming to their bank account. Right. That's because you have not taken care of the metadata. Right. You haven't signed up with the right organizations. Right. You haven't, you don't have the, the right ISRC, the IPI, the ISWC. Something the that's ISMI new, the ISNI. The ISNI. 
the I, the international standard name identifier. All real quick, can, can we talk real mm-hmm. quick before uh, mm-hmm. quickly talk yeah. about that because that's something that's relatively new. For, yes, it's right. And, and, it's done and in guess the book what? world, but not so much in a music space, right? Yes, um, and and guess what? There's another new player to the to the market called a Bowie B O W I. Okay, that's that's trying to kind of replace the ISNI code as well. But that's that's another topic for another day. Right. But the ISNI code, yes. If you go to ah, sound dot credit, sound dot credit, sound dot credit. Yes, you go to sound dot credit. You sign up for that um, uh, membership on that platform, and then you apply for the ISNI code. Right. Right. And that ISNI code essentially is like another layer of this that helps with disambiguation. So, for instance, P Diddy. Is P Diddy, Puff Daddy, Sean Puffy Combs, Sean Combs, um, Diddy, oh, <laughs> and and then he's got Love now as well, right. right? Yeah. In in the music business, that's a nightmare. There's right. all these different names. So the Isley code is sort of like a code where you tether all those names into one code. Yeah. And then you, it, the Isney code also um, shows that he's a producer, he's a songwriter, he's a businessman. You know, he writes poems, maybe. He does different things, right? That ISNI code helps to identify this one person with all these different functions that they do, right? So if you look at Rihanna's ISNI page, oh my gosh, it's it's like it's a beast. She has all her names. So she got Robin Rihanna Fenty, Rihanna mm. Fenty, Rihanna, and then they've got all the wrong spellings of her names as well. Oh, wow. the incorrect spellings, to make it and so then they've all that money, right? Ah, and then <laughs> they've got the translations in different languages: Japanese, Chinese, Mandarin, whatever. It's yeah. all there, you know. So, and this is very important, as you just said, to ensuring that when that revenue report comes in or that usage reports come in, and you're seeing this funny translation, you know that you can check and see. Oh, that's Rihanna. She needs to get this money, right? So that's a that's a that's a a very important uh, uh, element to your metadata. That's on the metadata sheet as well. Um, and of course, guys, you may not know how to fill in everything. I do offer consultations. Yes, um, you Please can guys. connect with me directly, right. Right. and I will take you through that whole thing and let you understand how that all works. Wonderful, guys. Wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like I said. Um, how can how can I connect with you on Instagram on in your social platforms? We get out yeah, I'm I'm at Keith Anthony at on Instagram and uh, on Twitter. So K E I T H A N T H O N E E K E I T H A N T H O N E on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and then you can um, connect with me there, and then we can s- s- get the ball rolling. Wonderful, wonderful guys. Well, look, this has been an episode, another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And this is your host, Darrell Peart. Until next. Oh, one more thing. Okay, hold on. One more thing. I've got, uh, uh, if you're on Clubhouse, every Monday uh, between 11 and 12 a.m. Eastern, I've got something called Metadata Mondays where I talk about all of all this kind of stuff. In fact, this week, and I wish we spoke about this. This coming Monday, you definitely want to be on this one because I've got the um, head of partnerships for Jaxter coming and talking. So if you don't know what Jaxter is, Jaxter is basically the, the uh, IMDB for music credits. So you can go on Jaxter right now and look at any artist, any major label artist, any big artist out there, you know, Beyonce, whoever, and you can look at each song and see the credits for each song who the mixing engineer is, who the background vocalist is, who the mastering engineer is, you know, who sang what on what song, etc. You can see all the names, etc. You can see lyrics, everything. Jackster is an incredible company. And I'm having the head of partnerships come this Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, Metadata Mondays on Clubhouse. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, guys, that's, that's like I said, Keith has, made a, Keith has made it a point to focus on a area of intellectual property that most people don't there's not really a job for it most people didn't never said that like we said earlier i'm going to go study metadata and that's going to be kind of what my contribution is to the industry but doesn't exist he's kind of <laughs> find a, a niche space that yeah. he can kind of master and and really be of value to the majority of the creators out here that's in the marketplace that are independent so uh man 
this has been a great episode, a, a great time. I've enjoyed it. We have to come back and do this again. Yeah, another time. Sure. Get even more deeper into it next time. You know. Yes. Uh, but, but but thank you so much for your time. And guys, like I said, too, this has been episode 20 of the Encourage and Inspire podcast. And this is your host, Jerome Peart. And until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.